We are in the book of Proverbs, and we're in chapter 18, and you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to finish chapter 18. How many believe that? <laughs> all right. By God's grace, we're going to finish chapter 18. All right? We can do it. I believe we can. And uh, we're starting again in verse number 16, and uh, Proverbs 18, 16, if you're new to us tonight, and uh, we, we have been going verse by verse through the uh, uh, book of Proverbs for, for a while now, and, uh, and uh, just trying to glean something from each verse as we go through. Father, I need your help. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And so we long, Father, for you to send your Spirit both to me as I speak and these as they hear. In Jesus' name, amen. A man's gift maketh room for him. And bringeth him before great men. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Now, I want to uh, address the most natural application of this verse before I give you the, the statement from the verse. And the most natural and what might seem like the most obvious application is that generosity for better or for worse, can gain you an audience. And we know that's true. Uh, 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 politicians know that very well. Yes, it's called influence peddling. <laughs> and uh, we seem to be steeped in it in high places in this country. So that is the uh, most obvious natural. I mean, you go to a fundraising dinner and you buy a table or a plate or something for, you know, $500, $800, $1,500, $30,000 or whatever it is. And, uh, and it's true that a man's gift maketh room for him. Again, for better or for worse, uh, you can, uh, sadly, you can, you can buy influence. Especially if you can draw like a kindergartner but you have a last name like a president, then you can uh, sell influence. All right. You can say amen if you want to. Yes, sir. Now, here's a spiritual application. I'll give you the statement. Here's the statement. A gifted servant need not assert himself. A gifted servant need not assert himself. Let me explain. If the Lord has gifted a man, and he has gifted every one of us, every one of us that are saved, how many of you are saved? Say amen. God has given you a spiritual or spiritual gifts, gift or gifts. That's true for every believer. You say, not me, I'm not gifted. Oh, yes, you are. The Bible's clear about that. There's gifts given to us all that are born again. So the Lord, having gifted us, when a man has been gifted by the Lord, that man will not need to force himself or assert himself and his gift. His gift, if humbly and faithfully used to bless others, will make room for him. That was Joseph. Joseph found a place in the palace, did he not? Was he looking for that place, yes or no? No, but his gift 
made room for him. I think about, I think about Rick Martin um, in, uh, in the Philippines, one of the, greatest, one of the greatest men of God alive today and one of the greatest missionaries ever in the history of Christianity is Rick Martin right now in the Philippines. And you know what to look at him? <laughs> if, Rick Martin were, if, if Rick Martin were to be in here and you saw he and I uh, 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 talking at the close of the service, you'd say, well, look at that. Pastor must have hired a, uh, uh, a new custodian. He, probably hired, he must have hired somebody to uh, sweep the floors and, 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 and take the garbage out. That must be what he did. He looks like a nice man. And you wouldn't know that he was one of the greatest men of God on the planet. But that man has used the gifts that he has for the glory of God, and God has given him a place. Truly, I think after he's gone, will be a legendary place in Christianity. Here's what I'm saying tonight. If you are gifted, and you are, then use your gift with humility and integrity, and that gift will make a place for you. Now, here's the thing. Listen, be careful. Here's what, we, here's what we have a tendency to do. We take our gift and we expect our, we expect our gift alone to make a spot for us. But let me tell you something. It's not just your gift. It's how you execute your gift. It's how you use your gift. That's incredibly important. Two of the saddest things about politics. You Ready? Politics almost always requires others' gifts. Think about it. To make it in politics in America anymore, you almost always have to get, have the gifts of another. Deuteronomy 16:19 says, "Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift doth turn, excuse me, doth blind the eyes." Of the wise. Now, obviously, when he's talking about a gift here, he's not, he's not talking about uh, uh, true alms uh, giving, which is giving without wanting any recognition just to be a blessing, but it's talking about, uh, you know, giving to, to, get, to, to get some influence, to make room for yourself. And, um, and the Bible says, uh, Thou shalt not respect persons. You don't treat one person better than another person. Uh, one person uh, with more respect than another person because uh, of what they've given you. And, uh, and God is not that way. God is not a respecter of persons. Amen. Hey, who was the most famous woman in the temple that day? Jesus was watching the people put their money in the offering plate. And by the way, for you folks that think that's a sin to take a public offering, read your Bible. Jesus knew exactly what that woman gave. Amen. Anyway, so... Uh, but uh, he said that one right there, she put in two pence, two, two mites. And all those guys, man, they, they dumped it in. We all saw that. Fellas, she gave more than the rest of them. Why? Because she gave out of her living. They gave out of their abundance what they had above and beyond what they needed. She gave what she needed. She gave her grocery money, in other words. So uh, this problem with our political system uh, in that it almost always requires others' gift. This, in turn, makes the candidates beholden to their donors. Right? People will stand up and say dogmatically, I 
am absolutely against this sadistic, satanic, uh, 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 child mutilation called, uh, uh, they, they drape all these wicked, vile things in lingo. I forget what the latest thing they call it. Uh, probably call it healthcare, right? Chopping off body parts is now healthcare. Uh, anyway, but a politician can stand up just as bold as they can be, and when it comes down time to sign a bill that would that would prohibit such sadistic practices, all of a sudden they balk. <laughs> would you like to know why? The person who put the money in their campaign is pulling the reins. That's exactly what's happening. And the gift giver expects the influence in return. A gift in the truest sense comes with, finish the statement, no strings attached. Is that right? That's what a gift is. A gift is not manipulative. Let a gift be a gift. If you offer your time, listen carefully. Here's a spiritual application. If you offer your time or talent to the Lord and then come back later and say... Well, I did all this and they still gave me no consideration. Then you have betrayed your motives. Are you listening to me? If you did that for the Lord, you say hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you gave me. I'm ready for another one when you're ready to give me one. Amen? If you have a gift of service to the Lord and it is a blessing, you will be glad of it and not look for room. Let the Lord bring it to you. Number two, here's, here, here's the other thing about politics. Number one, it almost always requires others' gifts. Number two, the system, our American political system, is built on self-assertiveness. In order to win office, you have to disobey this verse, just about. <laughs> you have to put yourself out there and you have to you have to uh, toot your own horn, and what that so quickly turns into is defaming the other guy, right? Which usually turns into a slugfest, right? <laughs> Those are two great weaknesses of our political system. Uh, listen, do you know that the great the greatest leaders, the greatest leaders, are the ones that are pushed toward leadership. Not the one who aspires to leadership. You know who the greatest military leaders have been? And I'm talking about, I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about uh, battle-proven military leaders. The guys who, when the, when the captain, when the, uh, whoever, the, 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 the uh, presiding, when the officer was, was shot and killed, and somebody had to take his place in the heat of the moment. And the guys in the foxhole said, you're in charge now. There's your leader right there. Not the guy who campaigns and said, well, I think I ought to be in charge. I think I If you've got a gift, thank God for it. Use it for the glory of God. I'm not talking about shrinking from leadership. God, but use your gift with integrity and with humility. And guess what? There'll be a place at the table for you. 
Now, verse number 17, we covered last week, so we won't go back over that one again. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. Remember that? Remember what we talked about? Uh, your neighbor's watching. <laughs> All right, keep going. Verse 18, the lot causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. The lot causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. Now I'm going to deal with verse 19 separately, but I want to go ahead and read it now because these are very closely associated. And I think verse 19 follows the thought that's presented in verse number 18. So verse 18 again, the lot causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. So when, in other words, when the contention doesn't cease and a brother is offended, then uh, it's, it's, it's harder to win that brother back than it is to conquer a castle. So let me give you a, a statement for verse number 18, okay? Let a third party counselor help you solve your differences. Let a third party counselor help you solve your differences. The lot in the Bible, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's uh, I guess maybe similar to what we say, let's draw straws over this, right? Let's draw straws. But the lot was actually used, God actually used the lot. Uh, and, uh, and remember, that's how Achan was found. And other times, other examples. But anyway, God used that, but it was a way of, of, of impartially settling differences between two people who had contention. Uh, to, uh, keep your finger in Proverbs. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6 for just a moment. Uh, just so you know, this is a biblical concept. And this concept is uh, reiterated in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 6, uh, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 1. <clears throat> Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? In other words, he says, how dare you? How dare you as Christians go to law, sue one another, if you will, and stand in front of, a, of an unsaved, unjust in the sense not justified, an unsaved uh, 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 judge, and not before a born-again believer, a saint. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And that's, uh, he's, it's uh, faithful in a little, be faithful in much, and that's coming in the millennial reign. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy? To judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more? And that would be great to be in charge of angels. Amen. I want to behave right now because in the millennium I will be in charge of some angels. Anyway, I'm running on air. No, ye not we shall judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He said, look, choose the person who has the least credibility. 
in the church before you choose a son and say, man, I speak, verse 5, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer, allow yourselves to be defrauded? That's powerful, isn't it? That's strong, isn't it? God said two believers would be better off. If somebody takes advantage of you, God said you'd be better off eating it than you would dragging a brother in Christ into a public court in front of an unsaved judge and drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud. That's how God feels about it. Amen. God forbids lawsuits among believers. Now, an insurance company is not a believer, okay? <laughs> but a brother against a brother is forbidden in Scripture. Now then, verse 19, and again, you'll see, I think, how this uh, harmonizes with verse 18. A brother offended, in other words, the contention. Well, let, let me back up just a minute. Let me back up just a minute. Sorry. <laughs> let a third-party counselor help you solve your differences. Listen, listen. Maybe, maybe what you need to do is find somebody who loves you both and cares about you both and has no skin in the game. You understand what I mean? And sit down with two believers and they say, you know what? I see it one way. He sees it another way. Can you help us? You know that's biblical. I'm afraid it doesn't happen very often. But it could and it should. Amen? Look, if everybody was still in church that got offended and got out of church, what could we be doing for the cause of Jesus Christ? Now, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Uh, we'll just give you two words here. Value relationships. Value relationships. Matthew 5.25 says this. Agree with thine adversary quickly. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast in the prison. And what he's saying in that verse is this, before it escalates, before it gets out of hand, agree with thine adversary quickly. You know what agreement sometimes means? Just agreeing to disagree. Amen? How many of you understand two Christians don't have to agree on everything to be in fellowship? Good night. If that was the case, none of us could fellowship with any of us. I sure couldn't fellowship with him. I get, never uh, Anyway, Syracuse fan, God help me. Anyway, uh, but uh, look, sometimes you agree to disagree. Amen? And, uh, and anyway, so uh, the old adage might fit here. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Amen? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, but we all treat each other well. Amen? In the family of God. A lot of those offenses that turn into bars on a castle could be prevented. Now, I want you to think about this too. The Bible says a brother offended. This could apply, I believe, to our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. But consider it for just a moment in a, in a familial aspect, a family aspect. 
We ought, to, we ought to develop close family ties. You know, you only got one mom and daddy. Your brother's your brother, your sister's your sister. Your son's your son, your daughter's your daughter. Is that right? There is a real potential for those who love the dearest to become the bitterest enemies. You know, the more deeply, you know, you think about grief, for example. Let me, let me give you this illustration. Grief. Here's a person who grieves deeply. Why do they grieve deeply? Because they love deeply, right? The grief is commensurate with the love. The depth of grief is, correlates with the depth of love. The same is true when a, when a, when a brother is offended. How many of you know, uh, we're not going to take testimonies. How many of you know blood, brothers, and sisters who won't speak to each other? Raise your hand. Huh. It's not that uncommon, unfortunately. You see, the closer the tie, the deeper the hurt. Read Psalm 41 with me real quick. Read Psalm 41. D David had one of these. He had more than one, actually, but he is expressing it. I, I think in Psalm 41, he's talking about Ahithophel, his dear friend of many years. In Psalm 41, verse 4, he says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul. For I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die? And his name perish. When is he going to die? We don't have to hear about him anymore. And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His words are empty. They're meaningless. They're insincere. They're disingenuous. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. What's going on the inside is not what's coming out of his mouth. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. When he walks away from me and goes outside this palace, he comes in here, speaks one way, something else is going on in his heart. When he walks out of here, he tells others about it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. His demise is coming. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. He's down. He ain't getting back up. Yea, mine own familiar friend. Now that's prophetic, I think, of the betrayal of Judas. But it is also has current application between David and his bosom friend Ahithophel. His, his, his most his most trusted counselor. David shared things with Ahithophel. He received counsel from Ahithophel like no one else in his kingdom. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, he ate at the king's table, hath lifted up his heel against me. Here's what happened. Ahithophel was David's most trusted counselor. But David sinned. God forgave David. 
Sin always has aftermath, doesn't it? David's sin, and after his sin was exposed, he confessed, he got it right. Thank God for that. He married Bathsheba. Then they had Solomon, and God blessed them with the wisest man that ever lived. But sin has scars. And if you go to, uh, you don't have to turn, turn to it, but if you, go, if you go to 2 Samuel and 22, I read it a while ago. Uh, I think it's verse 34. You'll find, you compare Scripture with Scripture, you'll find that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. So you could imagine what that did to Ahithophel when King David had an affair with his granddaughter and then had his grandson-in-law murdered. Well, God forgave David and we thank God for Psalm 51, don't we? And, uh, and we thank God for his mercy. But Ahithophel, I think that probably, that offense stayed with him, turned into bitterness. And when Absalom, when Absalom rose up and stole the Bible, so I read it again today, he stole the hearts of the people. He stole the hearts of How did he do that? He said, oh, that doesn't, he stood out by the city gates. And people come in, and he's, he's the king, so he's the prince, you know, so he bow in front of him. He said, oh, no, we don't have to do that. Come here. He said, oh, I don't have to do that. And he just, uh, you know, and he kissed him on one side, cheek and the other. I won't do that tonight. But it's like our handshake. It didn't mean any more than a handshake. Uh, maybe a bro hug or what do you call that thing? Bro ham hug. <laughs> uh, anyway, but he kissed the cheek, you know. It's still customary in a lot of countries today. And uh, that's what he'd do. He said, you don't have to bow to me. It's just me and you, man. Come on. And what are, you, what are you here for? Oh, I'm here to see your dad. Oh, he ain't got time. I wish he had time for you. I wish he let me help, but you know, dad, he won't let nobody help him. You know, he thinks he knows everything. But let me help. What, tell me your story. Oh, boy. If, and if I was in charge, if I was a judge in this land, but I'd take care of that. That's not right. What, you know, he didn't care about the people. He could care less about the people. He was still in the hearts of the people. The Bible was clear about it. And when the time was right, he gathered some key men that he knew had to burn their soul against King David, and Ahithophel was one of them, David's chief counselor. Thank you. But here's something beautiful, 2 Samuel 15, 30 and 31 is what I'm reading out of. While Absalom, the consummate rebel, with his long rebel hair brandishing his rebel sword, was slicing his way into the palace, David in retreat, unwilling to fight his own son, was weeping and praying his way up the Mount of Olives. The same mount our Lord wept and prayed him so often. 2 Samuel 15, 30, 31. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went. Do you feel that with David? His familiar friend and his own son betraying him. He wept as he went. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh, Lord, I, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And God answered his prayer. And Absalom rejected the counsel of Ahithophel. And now Ahithophel didn't believe, belong to Absalom and he didn't belong to David. And Ahithophel hung himself. 
You know what you ought to do? Listen. Before you let that thing fester, before you let that thing go, before you let that thing turn into something bigger than it is, go quickly and agree with thine adversary. Develop close ties and guard them. Verse 20 we talked about last week as well. Now verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Here's the statement. Use your tongue to heal, not kill. Use your tongue to heal, not kill. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Have you noticed how many verses in this book right here, in this book of Proverbs, have to do with the tongue? In one of my older Bibles, I have went through all the way through the book of Proverbs. And maybe you ought to do it. And I went every verse that has something to do with the tongue or the lips or, you know, the mouth. It's talking about words or what we say and how we use our, our mouth. I put a little T beside it, and you'd be, you'd be shocked once you do that, going through the book of Proverbs, how many times God addresses the tongue, and here he does again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, a little encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? I love that story. Uh, Sharon Stromberg and some friends, some teenage friends were in a horrible accident. She's the only one that survived, and, uh, and she was in the hospital, and she was on... Uh, a ventilator and uh, she uh, did not look like she was going to live and uh, her pastor came and uh, day by day into the hospital room leaned down by her ear and said Sharon you can live the doctors say you're going to die Sharon but I don't believe you're going to die I believe you're going to live you're going to live Sharon you're going to live you can live you can live you can live Sharon you can live and day after day and week after week every time he's in town he whispered that in her ear one day she came off the ventilator came out of ICU and some months later, she was rolled in a wheelchair in the back door, gave a note to the usher. And the pastor took the note and it read, Pastor, I did. I did. I did live. There is power in the tongue. How are you using your power? Using it for good? Using it to build? Are you using it to encourage? You ever get a little nick on, on your finger or something, or a little, maybe you cut your cuticle too close or something like that. You got a little nick somewhere, and it wasn't, it wasn't very big, but then it got infected, got red, then it got infected. You ever, you ever have something like this? It didn't, then it festered, then it came up, it's got some white stuff inside. Then you got, never mind, I won't, I won't give you the rest of the details. You know what we do? We, we let a little snot, slight, listen, we let a little slight nick our souls, cause infection, Leave it to fester, and it can bring death. Use your tongue to heal, not kill. Verse 22, whoso, oh, this is a good verse right here. Who, I'm excited about this verse. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Let me give you a statement. Honor God in the choosing of a mate. Honor God. God in the choosing of a mate. I believe the second greatest decision in your life after salvation is whom you will marry. Now, listen. What does the verse say? Hey, fellas, I'm talking to you guys. What does the verse say? It says, find a wife. Whoso, it's like, it's like the word in the New Testament, whosoever. Whoever you are. Hey, fella, find a wife. By the way, it doesn't say find another wife. Okay? Let's make this clear here. It says, find a wife. Find a wife. Uh, 
Proverbs 31, 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, first of all, you be the right kind of man and go find the right kind of wife. There is something, I don't even want to mention it, but there's something sick. I've said to you a lot of times, you draw a circle right there on that wall. Inside that circle is truth and righteousness. Outside of that circle is evil. Evil has no boundaries. And there's something sick happening in our society aided by artificial intelligence. And it has to do with AI dating. And I won't say more than that. In fact, our state, North Carolina behind New Jersey, and I've forgotten the other one, is spending more money on this filth from hell than any other of the 50 states. Do you know that marriage in this country is down dramatically? You want to know why? Because boys are on their phones and on their computers. And you listen to me. I've taught you this very frankly. You young men at camp, I've taught you this. It, it, is, it, it is physiologically, physiologically, I'm talking on a physical level. When you dishonor God, fornication is any type of visual or physical behavior that encourages intimacy outside of marriage. And when you view or participate in any activity that encourages intimacy outside of marriage, you are committing fornication and God says you will be judged. Not the pastor. God says you will be judged. But young men are looking at screens and marriage is down dramatically. Now fellas, first of all, you get you some manhood and get control of your eyeballs and make up your mind you're not going to be a pervert. Don't look at a, a woman like a piece of meat, like a dog looking at an old bone that was thrown out. There's nothing any more sacred in this world than the body of a woman. God created her body to bring forth life. It ought to be respected. By the way, ladies, it ought to be covered up. It ought to be covered up. It'll be treated with respect. And that's why, by the way, you little boys, you little boys, I'm talking about little ones, listen to me. You little boys, little boys, look at pastor. Hey, look at me. You do not play rough with the girls. You do not play rough with the girls. You don't push, slap, punch. You don't do that. Because girls are special. I know they got cooties, but they're special cooties. Now listen, you know what's sad? Marriage is taking a nosedive. And one of the reasons is, is because young men don't have enough sense to go find a wife. Now I'll be honest with you. When, I, I said this the other week, but when I was a teenager, I wanted to have a wife and a family. I wanted to get married. So fellas, get outside, get off the computer, get off the phone, get a job, find a wife, have children, and read them for God. Amen. Now, you give some guidelines when you choose a wife. Number one, choose somebody that's saved, 
The Bible says you're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Don't listen. If you don't want, if you're not going to marry an unsaved person, don't date an unsaved person. Right? Uh, that's Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen. Be not unequally yoked. Number two, choose one with standards like you. If you choose somebody with standards lower than you, I promise you, you're going down. They're not coming up. Number three, lo- marry someone who loves the Lord more than they love you. Find someone who loves the Lord more than they love you. And let me help you, men and ladies. If they'll get in church for you, once they get you, they'll get out. I've watched that over and again. Choose someone who loves their parents. Brother, can't handle it. He's got mad again. <laughs> Choose someone who loves their parents. Hey, hey, fellas, you want to know how that girl's going to treat you? You watch what she treats her dad. You girls that smart off people. If that boy has enough sense to come to his pastor and say, what do you think about it? I say, well, if you want to be treated like an idiot the rest of your life, go for it. Some of you girls, listen to me, you're so cocky. And here, I love you girls. God bless you. But you're not really all that. You can't afford to be a smart aleck. That boy is going to go find somebody sweet with a meek and quiet spirit. I'm not talking about happy mom to be meek and quiet spirit. But I'm talking, listen, th- th- this generation has taught boys to be manby-pamby, effeminate, and girls to be cocky and loud. Watch me roar. It's upside down and it's backward. It's anti-biblical. It's against God. Now you girls think you're cute because you can smart off and you, you copy an attitude. And by the way, the best time to fix that, moms and dads, is when they're little. But here's what you... A boy with sense... Let me tell you what he'll do. Boys are scared of girls. It's a fact. They're going to be nice to you to your face. And when they walk away, they're going to say, I don't want nothing to do with that. So how do you know that? I'm a boy. <laughs> Somebody who loves their parents. Number five, marry with your parents' blessings. Number six, marry with your pastor's blessing. So who do you think you are? Your pastor. Number seven, seek guidance from a godly counselor before you get serious. Seek guidance from a godly counselor before you get serious. I got two minutes. We're going to finish this chapter. Are you? We're going to finish it. Watch this. Verse 23. You ready? Here we go. We got two more. Yeah, praise God. Here we go. The poor useth entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. The poor useth entreaties. Okay, uh, come in, Mr. Cook. If you would. Uh, and entreaties is, uh, is, is, is as such. Excuse me, sir. I don't mean to impose upon your time, but could I ask you a question, please? That's an entreaty. But the rich said, hey, boy, go get me that book over there. Now, he thinks he can treat people that way because he's got a few dollars in his pocket. Because the house he lives in, the car that he drives, the position that he's in. Go sit down, boy. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. 
Here's a statement for you. Amen. Do you know what, kids? Let me tell you something. Do you know what some of you are going to be one day? Some of you are going to be wealthy. I'm not kidding. Some of you are going to be wealthy. Some of you are going to have a lot. And when you do, don't forget us little people. But some of you are going to have some money. You really are. I watch, I listen to these kids sing. I, 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 I think about these kids. So, so many of our kids are fasting. It makes me want to weep. They're fasting right now, praying. Young people, you're doing things we never did at your age. Winning souls. It blesses my heart. And God's going to bless some of you. And he's going to trust you with some means. He's going to. Here's the statement. Don't be changed by wealth or position. Don't be changed by wealth or position. No amount of money, success, popularity, or power gives you the right to be a jerk. There are a few things more arrogant than putting on airs because of the car you drive, the shoes you wear, the house you live in, etc., etc., etc. It's wicked. It's arrogant. It's pride. Verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I think he's talking about Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's two words for this verse. And we'll make just a brief comment or two. Initiate friendships. You and I have a biblical mandate to initiate friendships, I believe, from this verse. A man that hath friends must take initiative. He must show himself friendly. You say, I don't have any friends. Let me help you. You're not friendly. You're not friendly. Shazam. Revelation from heaven. It's not rocket science. You want people to be nice to you? Be nice to people. You want people to speak to you? Speak to people. I don't like to speak to people. We'll do it anyway. You don't do it because you feel like doing it. You do it because it's right to do. You do it because you care about somebody other than yourself. We call Jesus the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We might also call him the friend of friends. He is the consummate friend. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Thank God for true friends. True friends. I got an illustration, but I'll leave it for later. We have a baptism. Is that right? Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Amen.